Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast episode number 68. But mm-hmm. I would say maybe two, three years ago when this wasn't such a big, uh, I guess, focus for dance event organizers. Um, sometimes you hear about things and then organizers are kind of like um, lost or unsure of how to go about handling these situations, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's like a fair statement because obviously, you know, organizers are not always experts in consent or handling, you know, cases of sexual misconduct. So I think, um, you know, that's perhaps a call to organizers and instructors and event hosts that I'm definitely doing some education about this topic or getting some training for yourself um, to better support your attendees will become really a necessity in these next few years, I think. worldwide whose hearts have been touched by music and dance the universal language of dance and music is spoken by many of us throughout the world we want to motivate the dancer in you by sharing stories insights and ideas to enhance your journey join us now with your host charles ogar hello hello everyone welcome to the dance your heart on fire podcast bringing you another weekly episode as you guys all know we are all experiencing the COVID-19 pandemic and this has allowed me some time to get my podcast back up and running and I have some podcasts that have been kind of sitting on the shelf that haven't been posted and this is one of those episodes with Kate Meyer I believe this one was recorded back in October 2019 and we discuss consent and safe space and how to take steps as an organizer or an attendee or a victim of sexual misconduct or other things that we are trying to prevent with uh, the safe space policies and the safe space teams that we're trying to create here. So just to give you a little context, this was recorded back in October 2019. And without further ado, here is the podcast with Kate Meyer and myself. Hello, hello, everyone. This is Charles with the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast coming at you with another episode. And with this particular episode, I am glad to have a close friend on the podcast with me. Uh, And she's going to share with us some very insightful details into a very particular and important topic in our dance community, not just in the kids community, but through the dance community. I would say worldwide, um, at least in the scope of partner dances. And we have Miss Kate Meyer. So Kate, thanks so much for being with us today. 
Hey, Charles. Thanks for having me today. All right. So the topic that we're going to be tackling today is consent and culture as it pertains to the dance scene. And Kate has a lot of great insight through where she works. And I'll let her share a little bit more of what she does uh, for her job and how she's applying that to uh, improve the dance community. Um, but the topic is definitely going to be consent. So before we get into that, Kate, can you please uh, let our listeners know if this is their first time hearing of you, uh, kind of in a nutshell, what you do in the dance scene today? Yeah, so in the dance scene, I actually got my start um, as an instructor when I was in college with the Latin Rhythm Dance Team on campus. So I started as performing um, and instructing for Latin dance. Um, I was based in Rochester, New York at the time in a small Kizomba company called Rock Kizomba Formed there at the time. Um, shout out to Elise. And that's when I was first exposed to Kizomba. So since then, um, I've been traveling and learning more about Kizomba. And I relocated to Philadelphia um, about two and a half years ago. And I've been teaching here in Philly ever since. Um, but outside of the dance world, um, my professional job day work is working for residence life. So here at Penn State Abington, I serve in an on-call rotation where I respond to emergency cases in the building that are happening to the students. And I also serve as a judicial hearing officer. So that means when students violate policy, they come have an educational chat with me. Um, we develop some sanctions and send them back on their way. So I'm exposed to a lot of conversations around consent and educating students around consent so they can make informed decisions. And then also on the flip side, supporting victims and um, people who are alleged of uh, sexual assault or other sexual misconduct um, throughout the process from the university standpoint. Awesome. So I know for our past festival, the Neo Kiss Festival fifth year, um, you were helpful with me creating the safe space policy and getting mm -hmm. some insight on how to handle any potential issues. Uh, luckily, we didn't have to implement any of those tips that you're sharing with you. And I was just mm -hmm. remembering thinking like when you're sharing all this information, there's like things that are kind of logical in the in the order of sequence of events when something like this does happen in the, in the scope of consent and safe space. And I think it's becoming more of a thing in the dance festival. So I'm glad that you're able to help out to create that safe space policy and also help kind of inform our pink brigade that we had going on at <laughs> the festival. So uh, let's go ahead and start with the basics with... Yeah. Uh, our current culture in society and what does it mean to be quote unquote safe? Yeah. So that's like a really good question. Um, and I think safe can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So it's important that dancers feel like there's an environment where they can, you know, have, you know, their sense of protection and safety in that environment. Um, but I think 
if you try to define safe, you have to first define consent, um, which can be a tricky topic because it's not just like a yes means yes and no means no. Um, consent today, I have a whole nice definition. It's several sentences long, um, but some important things that I want to point out about consent are that consent is affirmative, which means that an absence of a no is not a yes, right? So just because somebody doesn't respond, that doesn't mean that that's yes or permission to proceed. Um, you have to have that affirm affirmation that yes to have consent. Um, consent is ongoing, which means that um, somebody can change their mind at any point. Um, they have the right to change their mind and withdraw consent at any point. Something important to note is that consent cannot be given if someone is incapacitated by drugs or alcohol. Um, and clearly, if that person is unconscious um, because of they're under the influence of something, consent cannot be given as well. Something else that I think is important to point out about consent is that if somebody is pressured into giving consent, that's not true consent, that's coercion. So I think you have to take into account any like power dynamics about a relationship, mm -hmm. um, which if you're thinking about the dance scene, that could potentially be like an instructor and student relationship or potentially an organizer attendee relationship. So yeah, lots of different things to think about when you define consent and how does that impact you know, creating a safe environment in the dance scene. Definitely things that sometimes we fail to cover in just the way that we operate in day to day life versus mm -hmm. really being clear and communicative and checking in with whoever we're interacting with uh, for consent across various scenarios. Yeah. Right. And it goes beyond like the scope of sexual misconduct, too. Um, if you're thinking about creating that safe environment, um, are we talking to our dancers about having good hygiene <laughs> or what does it mean to do lifts and tricks on the dance floor? And how do you ask your partner if they're willing to do those tricks or be picked up? Um, so, yeah, safety goes beyond just, you know, the sexual conduct that's happening um, in the scene. For sure. Uh, what are some other areas of uh, consent that our dancers could be aware of? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think definitely being aware of like lifts and tricks on the dance floor, um, how people go about navigating space on the dance floor, um, being aware of the presence that you bring on the dance floor, um, physically, emotionally, um, I'm trying to reflect on anything else. <laughs> that was a good question. Mm. Yeah. How you choose to approach a partner and ask them for mm -hmm. dance, right? Um, are you saying, hello, my name is Kate. And would you like to have this dance? Or are you just going up, taking their hand and dragging them onto the dance floor? Mm -hmm. um, are you thinking your dance? Your, excuse me. Are you thanking your partner for a dance afterwards? What does that acknowledgement look like? If you have a poor experience on the dance floor, do you choose to stop the dance? Do you point out to that person what's making you feel uncomfortable? Do you have 
um, know somebody else, whether it's an organizer or another instructor, speak to that person about what made you uncomfortable during that dance. Mm -hmm. Um, was it something just a vibe that you got from them? Did they maneuver, you know, a body part in the wrong direction and that hurt you? Um, so yeah, lots of different things to think about. So excellent points, Kate. Thank you for sharing those different scenarios. Um, let's talk a little bit about how this pertains to the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually did some research um, before this podcast, and something that I didn't know is that the Me Too movement has been around since, I believe, 2006. Um, I think it was definitely popularized in recent years as we've seen um, more famous people, whether they're involved in Hollywood or politics, um, be held accountable through the Me Too movement um, or just general publicity being shown on Me Too cases. Um, but I think it applies to the dancing um, just like it applies in the general public in the everyday that um you know, one out of every six women has been a victim of rape or attempted rape in her lifetime. And that number increases if we're just generally talking about sexual assault. Um, so I think what the value in Me Too brings is that even though you may not have been a victim yourself, chances are that, you know, um, a man or a woman or somebody of another gender who has been personally victimized by sexual assault or rape. Um, and that is true for the dance scene as well. Beautiful. Yeah. It's crazy to hear about those statistics. And I mean, you think about your mom, you think about your sisters, you think about uh, important women in your life and what a mm -hmm. large percentage of them have gone through uh, in their lifetime, you know? Mm hmm. Yeah. And if you think about some of our younger dancers age, you know, 18 to 22, that number increases for that age population. Um, and if you're thinking specifically about women in color or trans women, that number also increases. And how do you feel like this societal um, factor of the Me Too, this movement of the Me Too movement is affecting our dancing today? Mm hmm. Um, I think it varies a lot. Um, if you're talking about different styles of dance, that's just been my experience personally. Um, and also I think it varies a lot regionally. Um, I haven't had too much, um, dance experience outside of North America. Um, so maybe that's a good perspective for you to give Charles. Um, but I definitely see other dance communities, whether it's tango or fusion, um, implementing different practices to keep their students safe and aware of different types of consent, um, whether that's, you know, from having a volunteer staff member present who's able to address those issues on the dance floor as they pop up or talk to attendees about what it means to have a, you know, safe dance environment. Definitely. And I will say it definitely varies from style to style. Um, I feel mm -hmm. like like this was the first year that we implemented a safe space team, the Pink Brigade, and we had a safe space policy. Uh, but mm -hmm. I've seen this um, 
safe space policy document drafted in the blues and fusion community for mm-hmm. sure and now it's starting to make its way over into the Kizoma scene and mm-hmm. I can't speak on the West Coast Swing communities but I did con- uh, attend a consent class at the last West Coast Swing event that I went to here, that was hosted here in Austin Austin Rocks and there was a consent meetup class uh, before the event started so that was nice to see so mm-hmm. it seems like there is more of an active involvement for organizers to kind of bring these topics up to the attendees uh, just to make sure everyone is safe and, and feeling heard and can it, they're able to enjoy the event you know, um, but mm-hmm. I would say maybe two, three years ago when this wasn't such a big, uh, I guess, focus for dance event organizers. Um, sometimes you hear about things and then organizers are kind of like um, lost or unsure of how to go about handling these situations, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's like a fair statement because obviously you know, organizers are not always experts in consent or handling, you know, cases of sexual misconduct. So I think, um, you know, that's perhaps a call to organizers and instructors and event hosts that I'm definitely doing some education about this topic or getting some training for yourself um, to better support your attendees will become really a necessity in these next few years, I think. Definitely, especially, and this is a microcosm of what's happening in current culture. Yeah, so I feel mm-hmm. like the outside society values and norms and focus points are pointing and affecting the way that we approach uh, one another in the dancing. You know. Yeah, absolutely. So, Charles, from your worldly travels, do you think do you see a difference between North American culture on this and how other people across the globe handle it? Like, obviously, there's definitely a different culture around physical touch in general Mm -hmm. um between you know americans specifically but yeah what's your perspective i feel like it's being more talked about on the north american side of things and not so much on the european side but then again i have a limited scope so i can't i can't speak on really firm confidence but from other festival organizers in Europe that I've spoken to and attendees and maybe some not so good stories of experiences from attendees. It doesn't look Mm -hmm. like the organizers are really handling those things proactively. Um, It's kind of more reactive. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. You definitely don't want your first experience to be somebody coming to you with a complaint or a case um, to start that, you know? So let's talk about this a little bit more. Let's talk about local versus national scope of safe spaces. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think my observations have been that um, if local studios or local organizers are, you know, talking about safe spaces or developing, you know, what safe space means to them, um, I see that through whatever mission and values that their, you know, their studio or their company is built upon. Um, but I also think it goes um, to saying, you know, who who gets hired? You know, what organizers do you choose to bring in to um, promote events? And who do you, what instructors do you hire? Um, who do you choose to give your money to? Because that sends a message to 
the community members and the attendees um, and people outside your community as well as to who you feel is valuable. Um, so, you know, taking the whole person into context as you're making those decisions, um, I think goes a long way in, in promoting a safe community. Definitely. And as an organizer, I guess being aware of the reputation of the, the artists that you're hiring and things mm -hmm. like that. And if there is even in it, it doesn't have to be an artist. It could be a, a DJ or an attendee mm -hmm. or something like that, that could have a, a questionable reputation and being proactive with that ahead of time for sure. Right. And that gets into a whole separate conversation of, um, you know, from organizer to organizer or community member to community member, um, are we tracking, you know, what information we have on people who we believe have sexual misconduct records? Um, who is responsible for sharing that information? Um, so that's like a really hard topic as well. Yeah, I remember of an incident where there was a person that was in question in a particular local dance scene, I won't name any cities, and now the the person was brought up in a group among festival organizers to say, hey, this is somebody that you want to be aware of. So now it's kind of like letting other festival organizers know ahead of time, you know, but that was just like a one off situation versus like keeping a database uh, right. of these kind of individuals that are not uh, practicing safe space values, correct? Right, right. And obviously we don't want to be making judgments on any, you know, quote, he said, she said type scenarios. Um, but I think that's, you know, up to the individual person who's hiring them to make that call. You know, like if you're aware of some information, you have to make an informed decision about, do I go ahead and hire them? And what potential message does that send? Definitely. And I would say it's even rare for some organizers to even get to the point to where they're banning certain people from coming mm -hmm. to the event. I mean, you can have beef over something else like extense partner or extense school or something <laughs> like that. But banning right. people out of consent or safe space issues, I feel like it's a little bit more rare to hear of. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, when... Always when I'm approached about the discussion, people are like, you know, it's either like they're here participating or like they're banned. Like it always seems like a very like one or the other option where I think that there should be opportunities to be more creative if you're thinking about like quote sanctions to um, be giving people who you're aware that have sexual misconduct in the community. Um, so is that something like no contact agreements between specific attendees, right? If this attendee is here, like you can't show up or is it, you know, sharing different spaces at different times mm -hmm. or is it, you know, if it's a large festival, you can only be in this room for classes and social at, you know, while the other person is in a separate room. So I think there just needs to be more of a discussion about how do we honor people who are coming forward to share their stories, but also creating opportunities that seem fair and equitable without, you know, being investigators and having to find out if, you know, if something 
giving opportunities to be fair and equitable without having to do a full-blown investigation as, you know, organizers about sure. what happened. So let's go ahead and talk to some of our organizers and people in the dance community about some incident response best practices. First, you need to make sure that there's a reporting process. Um, so that's really important so that if there's a victim, um, they feel that they can come forward and share their story if they so choose to. Um, so making sure that there's an appropriate reporting process, um, whether that's anonymous or to organizers or to an instructor, whatever it be. I think what goes a long way in showing that you're receptive to hearing those reports is having a safe, safe having a safe space policy. Um, as you know, organizers, we chatted a little bit about educating yourself about how to support victims of sexual misconduct, mm -hmm. um, training yourself and your staff about addressing those reports that you receive. Um, and again, back to our conversation, invest your money on instructors who are themselves practicing um, safe space and educating their students about safe space behaviors. For sure. And when you do have an incident response, um, you did mention it earlier about like restorative measures to the community versus like a full out ban uh, on mm -hmm. the uh, respondent or the complainant because different things can happen. Um, making sure that person feels heard and supported and things like that um, is, is super important. And then also figuring out like you said before the sanctions that happens to to kind of relieve the situation. You know, it's like it's you want to be more restorative versus um, I guess what the opposite of restorative be. Uh, judicial, mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe. Um, yeah, because you, at, you know, as an organizer or an instructor or anybody in the community, you want to give back to the community what was taken away. In this case, if, you know, a violation of somebody's safe space occurred, you want to assure that there's something given back to the community um, that can that can hold that person accountable um so whether that's having like a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the person that says hey this is the behavior that was observed and this is how that behavior needs to be corrected i'm definitely pointing it out because they might not be aware of what they're doing mm -hmm. um I mentioned before something called like a no contact agreement, and that would be an agreement between, um, you know, whoever's affected, the complainant and the respondent, um, that they're not going to have interactions with each other. And that would be something facilitated by, you know, an instructor or organizer. Um, and then, yeah, back to thinking about, is this a temporary ban? Are they not allowed at specific events or socials um, temporarily or permanently? So, Awesome. Uh, very good information. And obviously, this podcast is not going to be the best solution for everything, just kind of like things to think about. Mm -hmm. And so I know when you're sharing information with me as an organizer of several different dance events, I was like, okay, this is a lot of information. Um, where do I start uh, <laughs> to implement these kind of things, you know? Um, and yeah. you, you were helpful with just drafting a, a safe space policy to begin with. And I mm -hmm. feel like that's a good first step. 
Yeah, absolutely. And then just don't like draft it and let it sit, right? Like publish it on your webpage, have discussions about it before your weekly classes and at your events. Um, So utilize it to make sure people are aware of it. Definitely. So we've given the organizers some tools um, on how to make sure their attendees feel safe. Um, What can fellow dancers do to make sure their other dance friends are also feeling safe? Mm -hmm. Um, So definitely um, communicate with one another. Um, I know you know, me and my dance crew, um, and I feel like every dance crew has this, there's some sort of, you know, smoke signals that goes up, whether that's like a, a wave of a hand or, you know, a tug of like the earlobe, but like, what are your signals to your friends? Like when you need help, cause you feel like you're in an uncomfortable situation. Um, so finding ways to communicate with one another about, um, when you're feeling uncomfortable and what help you need. Um, I think if you're thinking about large scale events or traveling, um, definitely want to have travel buddies, um, especially if you're in a city that you're not um, familiar with. Um, so stick together, travel together, definitely check in with each other throughout the day so that your friends don't worry about you. Um, so I think that all goes back to like good communication. For sure. So that is good information and kind of tactical advice for the attendees. What should a person do if they find themselves involved in an incident? Mm -hmm. So we could talk about this from each side of the involvement, too. So if you are um, if somebody is making you feel uncomfortable or if you're in a victim, um, immediate actions you'll want to take is to leave the situation or ask the person who's making you uncomfortable to leave if that's appropriate. Um, and if you choose to call for help, so that could be just letting a friend know, or if you feel that you want to get law enforcement involved, um, that's like your call to make. So leave the situation, get some help. Um, and in the immediate follow-up, um, think about, do you need medical attention? Um, do you need emotional support? So that could be like speaking with a counselor, a therapist, a trusted friend, or even like a crisis hotline to get support. Um, and then your next steps, um, should be thinking about your options for reporting if you show, if you should choose so. Um, so do you have a conversation with the organizer or the studio owner? Um, do you choose to make a report with law enforcement? Um, if you're thinking on the flip side, if you yourself are making somebody uncomfortable, um, stop that action, right? Don't continue doing that. Um, check in with them and saying, how is this making you feel? If they ask you to leave, leave that situation and um, take it from there, whether you need to check in on them later or perhaps they don't want that. It all kind of varies case by case and what the severity is. Definitely. That's good advice. And... I guess another scenario is that maybe a friend or individual is now they're the first person to hear about it. So mm-hmm. if somebody is reporting an incident to them, um, what tips would you have for that person to be um, of be of assistance? 
Yeah, so definitely step one is to believe them. Um, victims do not very often give false reports. So if somebody is coming to you saying this happened, it's really important um, for you to believe them and trust what they're saying is true. And step number two should be to offer support. Um, so is that, you know, giving them support as a friend or referring them to some resources that you know about? So that could be, again, like speaking to a counselor, speaking to an organizer or studio owner or instructor about what happened, um, giving any other additional reports, encouraging them to seek out law enforcement or medical attention if they want to. Um, so I think, yeah, anybody who's receiving a report, whether it's a friend or if you're, you know, on the side of that organizer and somebody comes to you, um, with a report, you also need to realize that it's up to the victim to choose what they want to do. Um, so you don't want to pressure them into doing anything and then also recognizing that, that might change, you know, maybe an hour from now that could change and they might, you know, choose to pursue something differently. Um, maybe 10 days from now, maybe a year from now, they want to handle things differently. And that's completely up to them at their will, um, how they want to handle them. Nice. And of course, like one would hope that these incidents don't happen, but uh, I don't feel like that's a realistic view on them. Um, but mm -hmm. I do feel like having the safe space policy and being proactive about the team didn't make the attendees feel safe. We got good feedback about that in our surveys. And it, I feel like it's almost like proactive prevention as well, uh, just to make sure yeah. all the attendees are like aware of like being mindful and being empathetic and treating each, each other well. I feel like it kind of set the vibe for the event. Yeah, for sure. The first thing that you said, um, believe them, um, ties mm -hmm. into our next topic of like reasons why incidents don't get reported. And mm -hmm. obviously this definitely ties outside of the dance scene uh, as well. And mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so like if we're talking historically speaking, um, most times when victims come forward, you know, they're put through additional, you know, trauma and they have to relive their trauma um, in order to present their case, um, particularly through like the judicial system. Um, so I think there's a lots of reasons why, you know, incidents don't get reported. Sometimes victims fear that they're going to be retaliated against. Um, they fear that it's not going to, there's not going to be any action created from their report that nothing will happen um, or that the person who is responsible will not be held accountable. Um, sometimes they just need more time to process and that's totally their prerogative. Um, so they're not ready to report that yet. Um, or, you know, they could be, um, coerced or threatened if they report. So there's a lot of circumstances under why they don't get reported, but you can't make an assumption that, oh, just because we haven't received any reports means that the sexual misconduct is still not happening because we know it is. Yeah, based on the statistics that you shared mm -hmm. earlier, yeah. Yeah. 
So I think it's important to have these policies uh, up front so people feel safe to report these incidents because the last thing you want is to have some kind of misconduct happen and then it goes unreported and maybe you lose a member of the den scene or maybe somebody's now going through some trauma and they just feel stuck because they can't say anything about it. And potentially this person is now free to repeat that behavior in the dance community, you know? Right, absolutely. So speaking about this behavior, and we talked about sanctions earlier as well, Mm -hmm. um, what kind of behavior gets a person banned from a dance studio or dance festival? Because obviously there's different uh, degrees of misconduct. Yeah, you can have something as simple as like uh, rude remarks or something like that to something mm-hmm. that's like more physical or violent, you know? So in order to ban somebody from like a festival or event, I think you need to have a lot of information or public knowledge of what's happening. So if you are receiving multiple credible reports that this person has conducted, um, you know, any type of sexual misconduct in the scene, that would be really good to take into consideration. Um, or if there's some sort of um, public knowledge of this individual being held accountable through law enforcement, um, So if you know that this person has a record from law enforcement uh, and that information is on public record, um, I think it's totally appropriate to make that call and not not have them present at your events. That is good information to have and important information. I mean, it's not an easy conversation, but it's a necessary conversation that we need to have uh, with people in multiple dance communities. Yeah. I'm really glad that we got to talk about this particular topic. It, It can feel a little uncomfortable, but it is definitely a conversation that needs to be had. Um, in multiple dance communities, um, not only in North America, but across the globe. So, Kate, uh, I definitely appreciate you for sharing your expertise. And I want to give our listeners um, some opportunities to maybe reach out to you. I know we were talking about how you wanted to kind of be a little bit more proactive about uh, helping organizers out with these kind of consent and safe space uh, policies and, and action plans. Yeah. So I'd love to start working, um, with, you know, studio owners and organizers to help them draft their safe space policies, um, create reporting systems so that people feel like they can come forward, um, and give those reports. Um, or, you know, how do you handle a report when somebody comes to you and support that person? For sure. So what would you tell a person who's interested in that assistance? How can they best reach you? Yeah, so you can find me if you're in the Philadelphia region. I'm sure you know who I am. Um, but if you're not in Philly, um, you can find me on Facebook at Kizombo with Kate. Um, also on Instagram at Kiz with Kate. Um, and yeah. Sweet. So I'll be sure to have those notes in the show notes of this podcast. And for those of you that are looking for assistance with that, um, you can definitely reach out to her. She was very helpful with me, uh, with Neokiz, and that was really nice. And she'll be a part of the organization's team um, for the sixth annual one that we're going to have next year. Um, but 
in closing here, um, do you have any advice to the dance community organizers overall before we say goodbye? Oh, sure. So, um, you know, the instructors, the organizers, the studio owners, um, you definitely want to be proactive in your approach. Um, don't let the first time you're thinking about these things be when somebody comes to you to describe their you know their trauma in dealing with this in the community um so develop those safe space policies and think about how you consciously contribute to the community and creating a safe space to attendees i would say um if i could help you know if i could help you feel more empowered um through this podcast to give a report and to speak up for yourself if that's what you want to um don't let anybody feel or excuse me don't let anybody make you feel uncomfortable in the scene and if that happens i hope that you feel that you can tell somebody or advocate for yourself um so that that doesn't have to happen to anybody else definitely that is awesome uh thank you guys for listening uh thank you kate for sharing your expertise and <laughs> knowledge you, with us uh-huh, for sure and if you guys have any questions definitely hit us up and thank you so much for listening we'll see you guys in the next episode thank you for checking out the dance your heart on by podcast today be sure to check out neokizomba.com for links to everything that we chatted about today, as well as some awesome free resources to enhance your Kizomba journey.